Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. I'm here today with Luce Reyes-Martin, who is the Executive Director of Public Affairs and Communication for Santa Barbara City College. And uh, she has a whole bunch of things she does in the community, wears a lot of hats. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. How are you today, Luce? I'm great. Thanks, Josh. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited about this uh, conversation because uh, you do so much in the community and you're involved in so many ways. And let's start off with Santa Barbara City College. Santa Barbara City College is uh, starting its fall semester uh, on Monday. And uh, I wanted to just sort of talk to you about uh, what's going on with distance learning and remote education. As everybody had to, all education, they had to stop in the middle of March and everybody was, as the popular cliche goes, building the plane while it's in the air. Um, but now we've had some time to uh, plan and to train teachers and train everybody to provide more of a rigorous academic online uh, education. So t tell me where, where is City College at right now as we begin to start classes? Yes, so that's a, a very accurate description, I think, of what all um, education, whether it's K-12 or higher ed, have had all really needed to completely change the way they operate uh, back in March. But I think one of the big strengths of Santa Barbara City College was that we already had a pretty strong uh, distance learning or online uh, learning program at the college. So we were able to really build off of that and leverage that experience back in March to prepare. Yeah. Um, and I'm really glad that we as an institution had, um, the, whether it's the foresight or just the acknowledgement that, hey, this is probably going to be a long-term thing. And we really need to, no matter what, figure out how to have the very best uh, distance learning uh, environment and experience for students that we can, um, even if we end up, you know, coming back into person, in person in the fall. Mm -hmm. So way back in the spring, that work started. So now with classes starting on the 24th, and we are primarily online, every one of our faculty members has had to uh, participate and engage in very rigorous training specifically for how to teach online. Um, it's not like you can just take an in-person class and plop it online. That's really not how, how that works. It's not the best experience for the instructor or for students. Um, so mm -hmm. they have been working since the spring to prepare for that. So that's really great. And, and a lot of that training also included a, a great deal of equity training uh, because the student population we serve um, you know, we, we acknowledge that we have students that are, have been greatly challenged because of COVID, whether it's they've lost their job, um, the people in their household have lost their job, their children are also at home learning with them. So it's really important for us for uh, instructors to also acknowledge the challenges that some students may have um, and have the tools and the support from the college uh, to, to help uh, with any of those challenges that might come up. So it is very, um, you know, a little bittersweet. I was thinking earlier this week, you know, usually the week before classes start, we're getting ready to, you know, be out there first thing in the morning and handing out campus maps and visiting classrooms mm -hmm. and, you know, the the busy chaos of a first day. And, and it's going to not be that at all. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a sense of loss with that. Um, but, you know, all of the faculty and staff came together this last week for our, um, you know, kick, fall kickoff and everybody's just been really great and as positive as we can be. We know that we have to set the tone and just be really encouraging to our students and like everyone else kind of take this one day at a time and, and see what, what happens um, going into the fall semester. How is enrollment? I know that before COVID, enrollment was uh, declining at City College and now people are able to take classes from wherever they are at. They don't have to be in Santa Barbara. Are we seeing or what kind of enrollment numbers are we seeing so far for the fall? Yeah, that's a really interesting um, thing to be watching because of course we have nothing to compare this to or to 
you know, try to think about how we might be impacted. Um, for our summer session, so we, we usually have two summer sessions. Our enrollment skyrocketed for those two summer sessions. We were okay. well over, uh, you know, our expectations for those two summers. Um, and I think that was really a reflection of both our current students and I think a sizable number of our K-12 students taking classes. Um, and heading into the fall, we're looking like we're gonna be pretty um, status quo uh, for this fall semester. We haven't seen a huge jump um, and we haven't seen you know, a, a huge decline. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty status quo. But with, if you dig down a little deeper into that data, um, you know, we do have strong enrollment from our, our, our district or our service area here locally. We have declined quite a lot um, with our out-of-state students. And I think that makes sense for many reasons. People, I think, are, are choosing to stay put um, yeah. and they may have other options, um, you know, in their local community. And of course, our international population has greatly declined um, because of many different reasons. Um, but we're holding pretty steady overall. Um, so that's encouraging. Um, and it means we'll have, you know, all, everything we need to serve those students. And we'll keep watching, you know, those numbers to see what happens or if there's any change going into the spring. You know, you talked a little bit about the equity training that everyone had to do. Can you talk about what that means specifically for, for teachers? Uh, the, the digital, the, the challenges that come with distance learning, I imagine are exacerbated depending on what your experience is with technology, what your access to technology is, uh, how, how often uh, you've been able to attend uh, college before, if it's your first time attending college, but can you talk a little bit about what that equity training includes and um, how that helps or impacts students as they're trying to get an education at Santa Barbara City College? Yes, uh, well, among the things that it includes is making sure that all of our faculty are knowledgeable and aware of all the you know, you, you, sometimes you hear it referred to as wraparound services that are available for students, whether it's for students that are, uh, you know, for the most part local for food insecurity where they can come and participate in, uh, you know, the, the food bank uh, pickup of, of food, yeah. our, mental, our mental health services, you know, the folks, you know, at Santa Barbara City College at the well who are continuing to do incredible programming to support the mental health of our students. Um, but I think another part of that is um, I've, I've been aware of some really great uh, dialogue that has happened with our faculty about what a different experience and environment it is to be in remote learning and talking through issues like, should you require your students to have their cameras on? Um, you know, how much, um, you know, a, a leeway should you have if students are, are late or if they have interruptions in their um, internet service um, and, and talking about how, you know, instructors need to, you know, as to the extent possible, reach out and build that connection with their students because we know that, you know, that's the part that's really difficult um, in a distance learning environment is to create that connection with the instructor Right. Um, and they talk through some strategies about how to do that. Um, you know, have those, you know, continue to have office hours, have those um, small group, uh, you know, you know, sessions potentially um, and talking through that. Um, and, and I think we had some faculty on our campus who ha were already doing that, you know, in the online classes that they taught. So they became, you know, kind of our local experts on best practices. And that was just invaluable. Um, I've heard anecdotally that other colleges have asked us, uh, you know, for advice on, on how to do, you know, this or that with, um, with distance learning. And then, of course, we already had all the, the technology pieces in place. We already had Canvas. We have an incredible faculty resource um, center staff that was, has just been phenomenal in supporting staff. Um, so I think we had so many of the pieces already there. Um, that, that really helped, um, you know, really make this as good of an experience as possible for our students. And the faculty continue to learn, you know, it doesn't stop with just, 
you know, yes, I did my training and now I'm good to go. Um, they continue to, to meet and the departments are encouraged to, you know, meet frequently to share how it's going and what challenges are you encountering? Um, and you mentioned the, you know, the, the digital divide that we, you know, hear constantly about. Um, and I think we were really glad and able to immediately uh, provide Chromebooks to any student who needed it, mobile hotspots for internet access to any student who needed it. And I know that was a resource that, you know, not every college is able to do. Um, yeah. And it was, it was just incredible to be able to do that. Yeah, you know, as you know, I teach a couple classes uh, part-time at, at City College. And one of the things that was a challenge when uh, COVID happened at the end of March was, you know, there's always those students who are in the front row or close to the front row and they raise their hand and they answer every question. And I love those students because as a teacher, you you like that energy. You like somebody who can play off you in the class and you know that they're, they're talking and they're hearing. And there's also students, however, who take a few classes, a few weeks, maybe a couple of months before they feel comfortable being able to raise their hand or to talk, or maybe it's the last week before that happens. And as a teacher, that's always a priority to try to teach to the whole class and make sure that you're not leaving out people who may be super capable and absolutely understand everything that's happening in the class, but don't have the confidence to, to raise their hand and talk. And in a classroom, you can really watch that. You can nurture that. Mm -hmm. You can cultivate that. You can observe it. You can see how they interact with others. And you sort of pick your spots to sort of bring them out of their shell a little bit. And in that virtual setting, that's much more difficult. But it is possible. It's just a different way of trying to reach those students. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, as a teacher, it's a, it's a challenge. It's, it's, it's an opportunity. It's something to do that is um, you know, new for them. And, of course, teachers love those, those challenges. I had a, a student at the end of last or in the March, and uh, the student came up to me, and I, I was basically at this point where I was saying, every class could be our last in-person class. Mm -hmm. Because at any moment, we could get that order. And I had the student afterward come up to me, and this is a student who's super vocal in class, very chatty, right? The one who's sort of always interactive, but came real close and whispered and said, if this is gonna go to an online class, I'm going to drop it because I don't learn well with online mm. classes. And I want you to know it's not you. It's just that I don't have a good record of being able to stay focused in online classes. And I was like, oh my God, I have to save this student. <laughs> like, there's no way I can let this student go because of this. So I made my best effort to say, I will do everything I can. Please stay in the class. I will call on you as much as I can. I'll be inclusive. I'll do everything that I can as though we're in the class and, and, and extra to make sure that you're getting all the support because, you know, as a lot of teachers, they certainly might get by on their, their, the energy of in class. And then mm -hmm. there's always that couple minutes after class where students rush to you and they, they have their questions. And in that online environment, at least back then, we were all sort of learning. So I think that um, that student did stay in the class. And um, oh, great. I think I think it did turn out well, because I definitely did make an effort. But it, there is something to be said about, you know, maybe starting your Zoom session if you're teaching synchronous early so that mm -hmm. students can start talking to each other. Of course, the breakout groups and maybe leaving it on a little bit afterward. And of course, having your office hours so that they know that, hey, I can still talk to you one on one. Right. If, if I need to. So, I mean, I think that's that's sort of what's really exciting about about all of this. Uh, what what's going on at the college in terms of in class versus remote? Is anybody able to meet for anything on campus, or is everything happening through distance learning? Yeah, the the vast majority are distance learning. Um, earlier in the spring, um, the governor did issue an executive order around, um, you may have heard it referred to as critical infrastructure or essential infrastructure to support 
a very prescribed list of um, state industries. And part of that included some of our, what we have, some of our CTE programs, that those would be permitted to continue uh, meeting in person, you know, of course, if the public health department, you know, said it was okay. Um, So we decided to move forward with those and so it's only um, nine programs and it's, you know, your nursing and, and of course the nursing programs have various different programs within that uh, umbrella, um, mm-hmm. our automotive classes. Um, and so it's a small number of classes that are going to meet not every day and not for every class period, but just to mm-hmm. fulfill specific parts of the class that you really can't do online. Yeah. So they will be meeting periodically throughout the semester and they those departments have developed uh, safety protocols and plans that were, uh, you know, then reviewed uh, to make sure they comply with all the public health uh, guidelines. Yeah. Um, so those are a very small percentage of those classes that are going to meet online or, or meet in person for part of their class. And then our superintendent president um, is going to uh, allow some of our PE athletic athletics classes to meet in person, not starting on the 24th, but starting uh, the week after that, um, because those have now been permitted by the uh, public health department. Outdoor um, education is is allowed. Um, And we're starting pretty small so that we can kind of see how it goes. Yeah. Um, and those classes are, are so popular. You know, we have students who really love taking, um, you know, physical education classes and, and we, and they are in high demand, you know, especially for anyone who's been cooped up in their house for months. Like, like I feel like I have, um, <laughs> the, the opportunity to take, you know, a class, you know, with, with Santa Barbara city college, knowing that, you know, we're taking every possible safety precaution. Um, you know, I know it's going to be something that many students will, will take advantage of. So that yeah. will start out pretty small. Um, and then we'll see, you know, how that goes and, and potentially add on some more uh, physical education classes uh, later on in the semester. Yeah. And the La Playa Stadium steps, they're still closed, right? No one can go walk around. Yes, we, right. We've still kept that whole, the, the stadium closed to the public. And, and that's exactly where these outdoor PE classes will take place. Yeah. I mean, just look at that impact of COVID was so many people use those steps and that track on weekends and evenings for, for fitness and, you know, haven't been able to to do any of that, you know, since then. It's right. So many different sort of prongs of stuff. Now, is there a chance that classes could return to in-person in the fall? I sort of got that sense from what I read that Goswami said, but Superintendent Goswami, but yeah. um, I don't know. What is, well, what's, what's it look like? Right now, the state has been pretty clear that if you're on the, the state monitoring list, you are not allowed to have any indoor instruction. So, you know, I I watched the county press conference yesterday, too, where it sounded Uh like we were moving in the right direction. So I think certainly it's possible, you know, it's uh, if we are moving in the same in the right direction and we do get to a point where we get off that state monitoring list and, and are allowed to have indoor instruction, I think then the question will be, you know, when does that happen? Because there is kind of this moment in the fall semester where it's really going to be too late to switch back that's very disruptive for i think everyone um so it's i think really going to depend on when that happens um and i'm sure you know dr goswami has has been very uh collaborative and wanting to get input from a lot of stakeholders so whenever that happens or if it looks like we're getting close i'm sure he will ask for input from faculty um, and staff and students, you know, to mm-hmm. see, you know, does it make sense to 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 bring some of some classes back to in person? I think he has shared that the only classes that he would consider were those that we had already kind of had on a list uh, for yeah. for coming back in person. And so that's yeah. a small group, you know, of classes too. 
Um, so I think even if we did come back in person, it would still be a, 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 a small percentage of classes. But then, of course, right away, we'd, uh, you know, we already are, but we'd get ready for our spring semester. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough. And we'll talk about uh, what the elementary school districts might mm-hmm. be doing, might be doing in a second. But uh, before we move on from from Santa Barbara City College, can you talk a little bit about the the role that City College plays in this community. I know that we're special, right? That sounds like a very, <laughs> a very, a very Santa Barbara thing right. to say, uh, you know. But every few years, we get recognized for, as one of the best uh, community colleges in the country. And can you talk a little bit about why Santa Barbara City College has such a strong rec- reputation for? academics and being able to transfer students to universities and what it is about this college that makes it special and and unique in this community yeah and you know i've i it's interesting because i i don't come from higher education um Mm -hmm. so i've been at the college now for four years um and i'm uh you know just feeling like i'm feeling part of the santa barbara city college community now that i've been there a couple years And I think what I have seen is there is such a high level of personal investment from from everyone at the college that, you know, it's hard for me to tell if that's unique to Santa Barbara City College. But I think for for there's a big part, I think, that is unique about that. I mean, when I talk to my colleagues and they went to Santa Barbara City College. Their, all their siblings went to Santa Barbara City College. Their kids go to Santa Barbara City College. It, you know, just even on my team, we have, you know, one Amanda on my team went to Santa Barbara City College and was, mm-hmm. you know, on the channels. And uh, Kirsten is a parent of a alum of Santa Barbara City College. So I think all across the institution, there's a high level of personal investment in the success of the college. And the college has personally impacted them. And I think that's what I hear often when I talk to people out in the community. You know, even if they have some kind of uh, complaint or challenge about something, if you still keep asking them more about the college, you learn like, oh, yeah, well, I took classes there when I was in high school or my kids did and and they love it um, and they had a great experience. So I think that is part of what makes the college so special is that it really is part of the lives of so many people in our community. Um, And then I think we have very strong uh, partnerships um, with both our K-12 partners and with UC Santa Barbara um, and even with Cal State Channel Islands in in Ventura County. Um, And I think we've been able to really nurture those relationships so that we are such a strong uh, transfer institution. Um, and we can really prepare our students um, really, really well to, to not only transfer, but also be successful when they transfer. Um, so yeah. I think it's, it's all of that. Yeah, well, you know, quickly, I went to DP High School uh-huh. and uh, I was actually like, I didn't know what I wanted to do other than I had to go to college. So <laughs> in other words, like I didn't know what I was interested in. And so um, I enrolled at City College and I enrolled in accounting of all things. I, I, wow. Everyone laughs at me when I mention that, like you enrolled in accounting, really? And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so, so um, and I, it was actually pretty good. You know, I was really enjoying it, but I, I signed up for journalism. It's just sort of like an elective class. And uh, I mean, at City College changed my life because wow. I, walk, I walked in that class and uh, Patricia Stark was my teacher. And uh, it was J101, and uh, I mean, she kicked my butt. I mean, she was, she, <laughs> she, she, she was uh, like the first teacher that I had who drove home the fact that, uh, you know, you need to have sort of high expectations for yourself, high standards, but you're absolutely capable of it. And, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, you may not get the push you need in high school, mm-hmm. but when you get to to college and definitely Santa Barbara City College, you have teachers who super care about you and uh, want to make that connection and sort of motivate you to do something uh, that you didn't think you could do. But I mean, I took my first semester at uh, uh, um, in journalism. I was like, I think I got like a B in the class or something like that. But I was just like, wow, it's fun. <laughs> this it's is fun. it. Well, it's fun to write, and, and I didn't know, really know how to write. I mean, I graduated high school, but I, I knew I didn't really have a discipline and I wasn't really taught how to write and so Patricia 
Trisha just sort of like just showed me how to do that over multiple semesters. And so if it, I don't know what would have happened if I did not find that class or find that teacher or have City College to be able to, to do that. And that's just mm-hmm. one story. And I think yeah. there's so many people who have a teacher, whether, you know, like Dr. Eskandari. I mean, I hear right. that, you know, once All a the month time. from somebody, you know, and the journalism students who've come through that program, I mean, they talk about Patricia, you know, in, in that way too. It's just, it's just so amazing. And I, I, um, I coached a lot of youth sports because my, my son's in high school now. And, you know, I'd always talk kids, you know, what do you think about going to college, you know, and they're talking about things. And I'm always like, you know, Santa Barbara City College, you can get a four-year university education for a lot less money mm-hmm. <laughs> in those first two years, you know. And so, I don't know, I just, I, I, I wish, um, you know, everybody sort of knew that you had this super high-quality institution, you know, in the community. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people do, but... I mean, it definitely missed being on campus, but hopefully we'll yeah, all get there I know. At, yeah. at some point. Um, I, you know, the other role, uh, one of the other hats that you wear in this community is that you are on the board of trustees for the Galita Union School District. And so let's keep talking to education mm-hmm. and transition to uh, what happened with the elementary school district the first week. I, uh, school started. Uh, how did it go? Uh, what were some of the uh, things that came up? And how are you feeling after the first three days, I guess, of classes. Yeah, well, you know, this is an uh, an interesting first year for many reasons, but for me personally, it's because now I have a kindergartner um, oh, yeah. in, in the district. So I'm seeing, you know, now for the first time, both as a parent of a child in the district and then as a parent and trustee that, you know, is a little bit removed from that. So it, it was really such a great week. And I, I cannot say enough about the incredible work that our, our, our teachers and all the support staff have been doing just relentlessly since the spring. We knew that in the spring when everything switched to remote, it was emergency mode. It was what can we pull together in the midst of this incredibly chaotic um, environment. Um, And so of course it it was not anywhere near as good as it needed to be at that time. Everyone was just pulling together what they could. So again, you know, I think we as a district knew, you know, we're gonna hope for the best and hope that things get better and we can all be back in person in August, but we have to have a healthy dose of um, you know, perhaps the reality that that may not happen. Uh, so we really focused on how can we make the very best, um, you know, distance learning option if, if that's what we have to do. And frankly, you know, I, I know as a board member, I wanted to maintain an option for remaining remote uh, for parents, even if we came back in person. Yeah. Um, because in talking to, I mean, you know, I feel like I, I when people ask me what, you know, what do you do as a board member? Um, and I say a lot of my time I spend talking to parents that just doubled, if not tripled <laughs> in the last couple of months, just talking to parents. Cause I really wanted to hear kind of what their experiences were, what they were worried about, um, how things were going. Um, and I heard, and I still hear from a lot of parents who, just for for whatever reason want to stay home and stay remote this academic year um even if you know everybody goes back and i felt like it was uh you know we we had an obligation and a duty to support those families who who wanted to make that choice so there were lots of reasons i think for us to as a district to to really focus on how can we make distance learning work for five-year-olds, <laughs> for, right. for five-year-olds to, you know, sixth graders. Um, yeah. And they worked all summer. They had a teacher institute where they really drilled down to how to make it work. And again, learn with a, with a large core group and then take that back to your, your, your school site and get all your teachers on board. The principals have just been incredible and all the district staff. And so on on Monday, it has been such a week. On Monday, um, I, I and uh, my one of my board colleagues, uh, our, our board president, Sholay Jahangir, 
went to uh, visit, uh, you know, physically distanced and safely mm -hmm. visit the folks at the district office because they've been there all summer long. They have not, you know, been working from home. There's work that you can't do from home, whether it's, you know, our food services people or technology people or, um, so we went to visit them just to thank them for all of their hard work, thank them. You know, they're often the people you don't see, they're behind the scenes. Um, and just tell them, you know, we see you and we see the incredible work that you're doing and just thank you. Um, and they were they were very upbeat. They were positive. There was that buzz of excitement that, you know, first day of schools on Wednesday. And then on Tuesday, we get this bomb dropped on us about, oh, now you can apply for a waiver. Um, <laughs> and it was we can get back to that piece yeah. <laughs> but then the first three days started um and you know i we our superintendent dr donna lewis was you know keeping us informed about you know how things were going at the school sites and everyone was positive um you know some i think some things happened at all the school districts at all the school sites that i experienced you know my my child goes to kellogg uh -huh. and you know i'm trying to it's, I think, a little different with kindergartners because in some ways they don't know any different. Um, right. So they're not comparing it to, you know, like their la last year. Yeah. Um, but I wanted him to feel excited about starting yeah. kindergarten. So we still got him, you know, a backpack and new school shoes and <laughs> some right. new school shirts. And we in the morning, we, you know, we're fortunate that we live just a block away from the school. We right. walked over to Kellogg in the morning because they did have some paper packets that uh, parents could pick up with some worksheets for the first couple, three days. So we walked over and there were quite a lot of other families that I think did the same thing. Mm -hmm. And and we all took a picture, you know, in front of the school sign and, you know, all the kids really excited and kind of with all with their masks and seeing the other kids. So they got a little bit of that. Um, and then I just have to say, I can see right away just the difference that um, all the work they've been doing to make the remote learning work. Yeah. Because my child's teacher, his name's Sebastian, um, he loved it. He had such a great first three days. Um, and the teacher yeah. was ready. Um, Mrs. Coughlin, she, mm -hmm. you know, she knew the, the technology really well and she spent some time just checking in with the kids, introducing herself, getting them to kind of see and notice each other um, and started establishing a little bit of a routine with them. And it was great. Um, we spent a lot of time. She really wanted them to learn how to kind of navigate Zoom on their own. And so all the kids practiced, you know, how do you mute yourself and how do you turn off your camera? And it's amazing how quickly five-year-olds can catch on to <laughs> the technology. Right. I was pretty impressed. Right. Uh -huh. um, and they all got it. And then we had, you know, a small one, -on we had one-on-one, -on -one, you know, meetings with the teacher where she got to have that, you know, kind of starting to build that connection with him. Yeah. Um, and then on Friday we got, you know, here's your schedule for next week. Here are all the resources that you need. Here's what we're going to be doing. And so as a parent, I feel like, wow, they've really got, got this down and they're not skimping on anything. And it is, it is really enough to fill a full day, um, of learning. Um, yeah. and it feels like, you know, I'm working from home and, you know, my husband and I are kind of trading off supporting him. And sometimes we might have another family member who can help us. And just the sense of a little bit of relief, because I think like most parents, I had some anxiety about, oh my gosh, how is this going to go? Is he going to be nervous? Is he not going to want to do it? Um, you know, how much am I going to have to be there? to help him and so far it's working really well. Um, yeah. And I'm just so appreciative of how positive and, um, you know, nurturing it has been even in this, you know, distance learning. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's been a really good first week. Yeah, I feel like in some ways, and I guess maybe both of us are, are fortunate in this sense, but, it's a little bit of the best of both worlds because 
You know how it's so difficult it is for children to go to school and to be away from their mm -hmm. parents, especially. I have a first grader, so um, last year, you know, she's in kindergarten, so I understand, you know, like that first. Well, that you know that she went to preschool, but it's always tough. But now yeah. they get to go to school and still kind of be with their parents a little bit during the day, right? Right. You know, and so it's sort of. Um, Emotionally, I feel like they feel almost safer now because it isn't the the, the very painful by drop off mm -hmm. crying that happens the first week or two weeks of of, of um, daycare or um, kindergarten, you know. So I think that uh, from that context, it works really well. Of course, there are many families who um, are uh, juggling how do they provide that home distance learning so everybody's yeah. it's it's very different for for everybody uh particularly with the young kids and everyone's got to work and it's, it's it's really it's really tough but i mean i'm in the same boat as you um i i like it <laughs> i like the distance <laughs> learning because well uh, you, you know. yeah you know what was what's been nice is uh you know at kellogg there is one of the places where they can go pick up lunch yeah. so we've started to make that a kind of part of our little daily tradition is we'll walk over to get lunch so he still feels like he's connected to the school right um and he does see some other kids because frankly the piece that i was the most worried about is we've been a family that's been pretty i guess risk averse to going right. out um the last several months so you know sebastian's very social and he is he is the kid in class in preschool who loves attention, <laughs> loves making jokes and making people laugh. So it's, I was really worried that this would be really difficult for him. And he has not been with another child his age that's not his sister since March. Oh, um, wow. And so I was really worried, like, oh, my gosh, even on Zoom, is he going to totally panic mm -hmm. because he hasn't seen another kid in months? Um, and so I was a little worried about that and he was pretty shy the first day and then he's, you know, starting to, to, to open up a little, but it's that walk over to the school where he gets to, even if they're not, you know, playing, but he gets to see other kids that are going to pick up their lunch. Yeah. You know, I can see his face light up a little bit where he's like, Oh, you know, there's other kids here. Right. <laughs> this, is this is new. Um, <laughs> So that's been kind of fun, but but I think you're right. Uh, we're, we're it is it is nice that you know, especially for a kindergartner and even a first grader, where it's still pretty new, they yeah. still have that support of their you know their their parents or or their grandma in in our case uh, nearby. You know, if if they need something. Exactly, and I this will transition into the waiver question, but mm -hmm. you know, with these little kids, you know, kindergarten, first, second, third grade, you know, all the way through six, it's it's true, you know, it's my opinion, of course, and this isn't a parenting podcast, but like, <laughs> structure is good. Uh, predictability yes. is good. Uh, they feel safer when they know that there's not a whole lot of moving parts around them. And so I feel like they're settled into this now, and there's been so much that's that, that the teachers and the administration have done to set up successful distance learning that if we had to transition back into the school with the masks or the shields and the distance learning that uh, it could be a little bit traumatic for some of these kids especially the younger ones um, what is the status of the waiver is that even something glitty union would want to pursue in the fall or uh, how, what are what is being considered as mm -hmm. far as returning to in-person schooling yeah, well, like I like I mentioned earlier, I mean, hearing that on Tuesday, the day before classes started was, I mean, honestly, I felt totally deflated. It felt like, yeah. you know, we're all excited. We're going to make the very best of this and everybody's positive and great. And then now you throw this big wrench that <laughs> is is like, oh, no, now what? Yeah. You know, now what's going to happen? And I, you know, it, it took, I think, throughout that day for that news to kind of trickle out into the community. And I immediately started getting, you know, uh, contacted by parents with exactly that. What does this mean? Yeah. Does that mean we're going back in person? 
when and it was like from a place of panic <laughs> mm -hmm. not necessarily yes i want it or no i want it just the uncertainty and that's exactly what i think we have been i think as an institution as a district and even our other you know local government institutions we talk so much about how the hardest part about all this or one of the hardest parts is this uncertainty and as much as possible to give people some certainty so to, to throw that in the first week of school, right yeah. before people are coming in, I think was very problematic, yeah. but it is what it is. You know, it, it's right. there now and, and we've got to talk about it. Right. So I think, um, you know, we're still pouring over, you know, what exactly does this mean? You know, I know I've spent a lot of time this yesterday, you know, at, at late afternoon when they published, you know, what the actual waiver application looks like and what you have to have in place um, just to, to read through it. Because I think as, as a trustee and as a board, I think we, we have to do our due diligence to evaluate this option and yeah. whether or not it's something we want to do. Yeah. And I am glad that it does require districts to get substantive input from, yeah. you know, teachers and your uh, labor or unions and from parents. And I definitely want to hear that. I definitely want to hear from parents, you know, what do you, where are you on this? When we did some surveys, you know, of course this was earlier, in the summer, we did have quite a lot of parents who were interested in coming back in person. Yeah. And with teachers, I think it, it, it ebbed and flowed. I think when, when things looked pretty good in our county, as far as cases, I think we had a, a, a large part of our teacher, our teacher group that did feel comfortable coming back in person. But as soon as those numbers kind of changed, then it was like, well, maybe this is not a great idea. Right. And I think what's so hard about this is you know we we have been here before we've been here at the county and as a community where things look good right. and then three weeks from now we're back in not a good place um yeah. and we have a, a big holiday weekend coming up that may have impacts that we won't see until two or three weeks after that uh, um, right, right, exactly. Right. So, you know, I really, you know, part of me wishes they hadn't offered this waiver until after we saw what happened with mm -hmm. Labor Day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think again, we so so our Goleta School District um, is having a special meeting where we're going to talk about this next week. Yeah. Okay. Um, we had already planned to have um, a meeting, but it was going to be more kind of a, a board retreat on some other topics. So we already had the time set aside. So, I mean, that was, you know, fortuitous in that, in that sense. Um, so now we'll have this time where as a full board, we can talk about this because of course, as a Brown Act board, we can't talk to each other. Um, so on next week, we will, we, we are having a meeting just to talk about this. And um, it's just an opportunity to hear where others are. I definitely want to hear from our superintendent who has been just really working hand in hand with um, our county office of education and with county public health to hear from them, you know, in, in looking at uh, the requirements that would have to be in place if we wanted to reopen, it looks like one of the biggest questions I have right now is this question about testing. School districts are required to test all of their staff every two months mm -hmm. or something like 25% of your staff every two weeks. Mm. And, you know, one of the big questions I have is at least everything I have heard from the county is that right now we don't have robust, free and accessible testing happening. Right, right. But now every school district is expected to provide this for their staff. Oh, um, yeah. And so what I'm hearing so far is, you know, if you're a private school or if you're a wealthy district that can contract out for testing at cost, you're going to do that and you're going to go do that. Um, right. And it just I'm very concerned that we're creating a very inequitable system 
um, where, you know, some school districts are just not like that's going to be a non-starter. Um, they can't afford to do, to pay a lab, uh, you know, to do private testing. Um, so there's just a lot of questions around that. We're looking at, you know, uh, because this testing piece is actually a requirement for the waiver and even later on, if you look at the guidelines for, you know, once you get off the monitoring list in order to reopen schools, here are all the requirements and this testing piece is there. And I think we had hoped that that would mean, you know, the, the county or the state would really expand available, you know, free testing. Um, but I, I don't know that that's happening right now. So it's a, it's a big no. question. Um, mm -hmm. But even going back to, you know, let's say we get that piece figured out. Should we do it? Yeah. I really want to hear from parents and from teachers. I think no matter what, we will maintain um, an option for remote learning right. um, for the entire academic year, no matter what. Right. Okay. Um, and then we'll see, you know, if we have, if we have the willingness uh, to do it. I'm not so sure that I want to rush um, to do that right now. You know, like I said, I'm, I am concerned about, you know, we're in a good place now, but what happens three weeks from now? And to your point, you know, not even three weeks from now, but a month from now, two months right. from now. You know, how disruptive will that be? Is it um, is it worth it to try it? You know, I, I have right. also talked to some parents who said, well, if we get, you know, three weeks of in-person learning, you know, I would still want that rather than nothing. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I really just want I want it to be a, a dialogue with all because we do we can't make this decision without having everybody on board. Right. I think it, you just can't force something like this on anyone. Um, so to the extent, and, and I know that you also can't please everybody, but to the extent possible, having as many people as possible with an option that they're comfortable with and that works for their family and that we're doing what we need to do as a district to keep our, our teachers safe and our staff safe and that they feel comfortable and supported. Um, but it really is a lot, you know, I really want, would have preferred for everyone to just be focused on making the very best distance learning work. And right. now you're just adding this other layer of, okay, now we got to think about this. Um, so it's, it's quite a lot of pressure over a long period of time for, for anyone working um, in education. Um, and, and I think it's, I think we don't talk enough about the toll it takes, right. mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's a lot. Yeah, I do not look forward to a conversation with my daughter saying, you know, all this stuff we set up for you so you can learn remotely. Mm -hmm. um, now you're going to have to go to school. And um, I know that like physically, and I know that might sound weird to people who like don't have kids. <laughs> uh, but, like, <laughs> like, like, like when you have to like, you have to know, like the, the, the mind or the understanding of, uh, of a five, six year old, like, um, they don't understand all the other stuff going around it. They just know, wait a minute, you told you told me to do this. Now you're telling me to do this. Like, how can I trust that the next thing you're going to tell me is going to stick? And that's right. what I care about most right. is that they may develop a sense of sort of distrust in the system or mm -hmm. in adults and, and, and that sort of thing. And then I worry, like you said, we go back and the cases start to explode again, or somebody gets it at the school, and then what? I mean, you're just gonna push through it and have in-person classes, or we're gonna shut down again. And I just feel like it's almost better to just stick to what you say, and then, you know, in the spring or something, if, if things are much better, yeah, start them all in the classroom. But that's a very much a, a, a dad parental perspective. <laughs> it's not necessarily, um, I mean, it's just, I don't know. All I know is that we, we spent so much time trying to explain to our daughter mm -hmm. what school is going to look like. And she's finally understanding that. And now to have to do that again, I think I think it's a serious issue for you, the decision makers, to, to sort of weigh in. you know. And, of course, there's other families who 
of course, their opinions are just as valid of let's get back into the classroom. So it's a tough place to be in, of course. You know. Right. I think that's even more of a reason why I think from the beginning, I have been very insistent that we need to have options for families and real options, like not just an option that you kind of throw, slap together, but a really good option so that, you know, parents do have some choice about you know, what is going to work for them. Um, and I'm glad that our district has has been doing that. And we, in fact, have three options. And, and that's another thing I have heard from parents this year so far, these first three days that are in each of those different programs. So we have a totally kind of independent study where parents are, are essentially homeschooling, but still with the district and they meet, I think once a week or once every other week with a teacher to help yeah. support the parent that's doing the, the instruction. Yeah. Um, and then we have, you know, the group that is going to be totally distance learning for the whole year. And they have, you know, a dedicated teacher for, for that cohort. And then the group that we're in, which is the in-person at some point in the future, but right now distance learning so as a parent, I felt like, you know, we had these three options and we really talked about, you know, what's what works for us, what are we comfortable with? And I've heard from parents that they really appreciate that they had those options and that they're very good options. Um, and I've heard just in the first three days from parents in each of those kind of groups that um, that that it's it's really good and they're really appreciative. Yeah, no, as somebody who's uh, in the Glidden School District, it, the communication's great, and you guys seem to really have it going on um, in terms of looking at all the options. So I think uh, it's a good good school district who's handling it as best as it can. Uh, let me transition a little bit to you. Um, yeah. you're, you're a very fascinating person because <laughs> you, you're, you're the face of uh, City College in terms of uh, you know communication and public affairs. Uh, you're also, as we talked about, on the Glady Union School District uh, board. Uh, you're also very involved uh, politically. Uh, you're recently appointed to the Galita Planning Commission. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about your story and just yeah. your background and how did you get to be this person that you <laughs> are today? Person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I always, when I get asked this question, I start off by saying, you know, I am uh, an immigrant. So I was born in Mexico, uh, my sister and I, and we came here when I was two years old. Uh, my mom had actually um, mostly grown up here. She she came and lived in um, in East LA uh, from the time she was a young kid and went to college here and then went back to Mexico. You know, we're kind of that immigrant story that we go back and forth quite a lot. Um, and so she went back um, as an adult and met my dad, got married, started their life. Um, and then, you know, I was born and then my sister was born. And my mom uh, realized that opportunity for women and girls in, in Mexico was going to be limited um, and certainly not the same as it would be here in the United States. So that's when they decided to, you know, leave everything behind and come and start uh, a life here. Um, mm. So so they came here, we came on a plane. One of my earliest memories is being on that plane. Um, I have yeah. these little flashes of memory of uh -huh. sitting in a plane in a seat next to the window with my mom and my baby sister <laughs> in her lap. Uh -huh. um, and so I so grew are you, up. Are you like oh, five? Ahead. Are you like five? No, four, I was five, uh, like two, three. Oh wow, you got a good memory. Okay. Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like that little flash of a memory. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and uh, grew. So I grew up in in the Los Angeles area with you know East LA and unincorporated parts of the county, and then uh, went to high school. And uh, I have a, a third sister, so three girls that was born here. So we've got three girls in our family. Oh. And um, I uh, went to public schools and, you know, started off in Head Start and then went to public schools and went to Stanford uh, for undergrad. And then right after went to uh, USC where I did uh, two master's programs 
at the mm. same time, <laughs> which, was, mm. which was an adventure. Um, but one of those uh, master's programs was in land use planning. Oh. And that was my kind of chosen career. That's what I thought I was going to do. I wanted to oh. be a planner. I wanted to maybe someday be a city planner. Um, I was so fascinated with um, systems and a city and how a city works and how a city functions and how policies that are in place build that city. Um, and as a, a graduate student, you know, learned quite a lot about the history of planning, particularly in, you know, California, um, and how race and equity play a role in that, whether it was redlining or restrictive covenants and freeways, you know, the yeah, history yeah. of freeways in Los Angeles in particular. Yeah. Um, and this was in 2008, 2009. And my like dream job was I'm going to work for a redevelopment agency and it's going to be great and I'm going to work for a city. And then the economy just collapsed and redevelopment went away, it, oh, you know, yeah. really from yeah. one day to another. And we had a whole class of graduate students that suddenly found themselves without a career anymore. Uh -huh. um, and it was very um uh sad and, and uncertain wow. like oh no now what do i do um and um at the time you know i i of course still loved planning so uh you know i did start working for various cities so i've worked for the city that i grew up in the city of downey as a graduate student i worked in their planning department which was such a a dream to get to work you know in the city where i lived and grew up um, and then worked for the city of Anaheim and then worked for uh, a consultant group that did, you know, general plans and zoning codes and all that. Um, so that was what I wanted to do. Um, sure. And then, you know, I got married. My husband and I met in college. So we've been together since I was 18. Okay. Um, and. And he, you know, we were living in LA at the time and he had an opportunity to come to Santa Barbara to take a job at the city of Santa Barbara, which is where he works. Oh, okay. And, you know, we were young and it was like, who doesn't want to live in Santa Barbara? You know, growing <laughs> up in LA, Santa Barbara was this beautiful oasis <laughs> that you could go, you know, visit for a long weekend. Um, so honestly, at the time we thought, well, we'll go live there for a couple of years and see how that goes. Um, yeah. and of course, like, I think is the story of so many people who move here, you just completely fall in love with this community and the people and the history and of course the beautiful environment. So we were so, um, fortunate to have now both been able to, you know, have jobs here and have, you know, settled down here and have our roots. And we were, you know, able to, you know, buy a home and have our children here. And we're here for the long run. Um, and, you know, in moving here, I started off working at the city of Goleta, which was so great. I loved uh -huh. working there. I worked in uh, the neighborhood services department uh, for a couple of years. Okay. And um, I love sharing the story of what brought me to Santa Barbara City College because okay. I was a new mom. I had a young, my, my son was not even a year old. And I got this call from someone at the college saying, would you be interested in coming to meet with President Lori Gaskin? Mm -hmm. um, I, I had met her once, you know, at an event, I think. And you know, they're, they're restructuring their kind of communications uh, function at the college. And she wants to talk to you about, you know, what you think about that. <laughs> at the time, you know, I had been doing quite a lot of kind of communications work at the, at, at the city of Goleta. And I had worked really closely with Valerie um, Cantella now, who was the PIO at the city of Goleta, and she was so great to, to learn from, and I still learn from her. Yeah. Um, and I had worked with the city on the response to the oil spill. Um, wow. So I had been, you know, in the county office of emergency management. I had worked there, you know, through that emergency for the city. So I think that's how, you know, they knew about me. 
Um, and so I thought, well, it doesn't hurt to go and meet with, you know, the president. Right. But I honestly, at the time was like, there's no way uh, you know, I can't leave my job. I have a young child. It's too risky. I like my job here. I've never worked in higher education. Um, I want to work at a city. <laughs> and mm-hmm. <laughs> what I have learned now is, um, you know, Dr. Gaskin is, is a woman that you can't say no to. <laughs> and so I went to meet her and, you know, she speaks so passionately about community colleges and about the role that they play in in society and in education and in the lives of our students that i remember meeting with her and she shared with me kind of her vision for this department that they were gonna you know people were retiring so they were gonna merge you know this marketing department that had existed separately from the public information piece and they were gonna merge and it was an opportunity to you know, build this department from scratch. And I left that meeting thinking, how could I not come and be part of this? Um, Even though it was quite risky because I came in on a contract and then I had to compete for the job. Um, I had to, you know, apply for the job. So I left, you know, my secure job (laughs) to, you know, take this, this leap of faith. Um, right. But I, I am so grateful that I did, um, and it has been so wonderful to work at the college, um, you know, even, even though I only had, you know, a couple. And then I knew Dr. Gaskin was leaving, so that was another risk, right? Oh, yeah. uh-huh. um, I, so I only got to overlap with her for, you know, maybe six months. Um, and uh, But I'm so glad that I did. It was It was so great, and... Um, I love everything I do. You know, I often get people ask me, you do so much and how do you do it? And I wouldn't do anything that I didn't actually love. So I really love everything that I do. Being part of the planning commission is something that I had thought about for a long time. And it just seemed like the opportunity was, was here now. And it was a good, I mean, it felt like a good time for me. And I'm so excited about that. You know, I, even though I'm not in planning, I still read a lot about current planning issues. And of course I, as a resident, I follow what's happening. So to be part of that and be back in, you know, the field of planning in this way, um, I'm really excited about. That's awesome. And, you know, I was sort of so many things to, to sort of react to. And what you said. <laughs> I was sort of um, struck by, uh, you know, you, you went to Stanford, you know, and you, um, you're, you're first generation here. Did you have mentors or how did, how did you, who helped you uh, academically in high school to sort of support you so that you could go to um, such a prestigious university. Can you talk a little bit about what your support base was? Mm -hmm. So, you know, of course, my parents um, were have always been very um, encouraging of us. And I really uh, bristle when I hear people say that, you know, uh, Latino families um, don't talk about education or don't um, or or are not as involved in school. Um, I really don't find that to be true (laughs) at all um Mm -hmm. i think that latino families maybe do it differently than than what you might expect you know for example my parents were never part of ptas they were they were never part of any of the formal structures of a school but they absolutely from the moment we were born practically um instilled in us that education was a way to a way to, to gain opportunity and that school was so important and you, you know, you, you have to go to college and they, you know, helped us with our homework whenever they could and, and mm-hmm. made sure that we had, you know, a, a supportive environment at home for, for, to learn. Um, and my dad, I always say is, um, the first, uh, male feminist I had in my life because he had, you know, three daughters and I grew (laughs) up always hearing from him. You have to be able to take care of yourself. You have to not be depend on anyone, not whether it's a husband or or any other partner, Mm -hmm. you have to be fully self-reliant. Um, and I really took that to heart and my sisters did too. 
and he still tells us that. <laughs> um, and uh, and then in school, you know, frankly, I didn't always have the most supportive teachers in school, but when I did, they were amazing. And in high school, I had a teacher named Mr. Glasser, who I still talk to. Um, and he and others, um, another teacher, Mr. Darstad, were the first ones um, you know, I remember, I vividly remember this moment in, in 10th grade. Um, and, you know, I was in honors classes. I've always been, you know, a good student. Um, and my mom went to UCLA. So I grew up thinking, well, I want to go to UCLA because that's where my mom went. Um, and I had seen, actually, the reason I even knew about Stanford was because of their football team. Mm -hmm. I, I knew John Elway had gone to Stanford. Oh. And I was like, that seems like a cool school. If, if, you know, John Elway <laughs> went there. It's so weird. I don't know why. But... <laughs> and I remember asking someone, well, where is this school? I've heard of it. And, and saying, oh, it's in California. It's a really great school. And it was the very first time I asked my teacher, I've heard about this school. I think I want to go there, but I don't know anything about it. So I didn't know that it's like one of the best schools. I just thought it's in California. I think I want to go there. And his yeah. response was, then we're going to get you there. Oh, wow. His response wasn't, well, that's a really hard school to get into. Or, <laughs> you know, like he immediately said, yes, you're going to go there. Let's, you know, figure out how to get you there. Yeah, um, and great. so from that moment, I believed that I could go there. Mm -hmm. And that was just my motivation for the next, you know, two years to, okay, well, and then of course, later, I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this is a really hard school to get into. Um, I but I had, you know, those teachers in high school who never said, who never instilled a doubt oh, in good. me that uh -huh. I could do it. Uh -huh. um, and that really made the difference. Um, and, and I still talk to them, which is really great. Um, that's one of the nice things about social media that you still get to, you know, right. connect on Facebook with some of these old teachers. Um, and, but that's really what it was. It's having those people in your life who, who, you know, say, yeah, you can, you can do it. It's mm -hmm. going to be hard and here's, let's figure out how to do it. But they don't say no. Right. And, and John Elway too, right? <laughs> and then of course, and then of course, when I was there, it was the worst years of the Stanford football team, like in history. <laughs> like we never <laughs> won a game. It was uh -huh. terrible. Uh, uh, but I have, but I have gotten to go to Rose Bowl games afterwards, which which has been nice. Yeah. Well, Luz, uh, I think it's been a great conversation. I really appreciate your time, sort of bringing everybody up to speed on what's going on with these two super important institutions in the district and you telling your story and you know your story is so inspiring and I'm sure that you know you are a role model to a lot of people as well um, just you know whether you know it or not so oh, I'm so happy thank you. yeah I'm so happy uh, you uh, took the time to talk and um, I hope um, everything goes well at City College and uh, Glee Union and everything else that you've got going on here um, for the next uh, few few months and years, <laughs> I guess. Oh, uh, of course. Th thanks a lot, Luce. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was such a, a joy to get to chat with you in, in a little bit of a more informal setting. Um, and good luck with your podcast. Okay. Thanks a lot, Luce. Take care. All right. Bye.